eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It is season three. It's episode two. Bruce Miles talks the franchise, the Chicago Cubs. Don't forget to listen, download, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Leave those five-star reviews. And in this segment, Crawley talks to Bruce Miles, former Cubs beat writer and co-author of the new book, The Franchise, Chicago Cubs, a curated history of the North Siders. Bruce shares some of the great stories of his many years on the Cubs beat and some interesting observations with you. Welcome, welcome to another live edition of Fly the W. I am happy to have on longtime Cubs beat writer and a good friend of mine, Bruce Miles. Bruce, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing great. Uh, good hearing Pat Hughes on a, on a winter's day. It tells us that uh, the baseball is not too far away. No, sir. It is the Cubs convention. What we're, what are we talking about? A week from uh, Friday, a week from Friday. So we're almost there. We're almost there. And as you know, it's uh, one of the big, exciting events of the year. Everybody looks forward to it and everybody's just nuts at that thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's now we have all these different shows, you know, podcasting, streaming, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, but back in the day, I mean, you know, you were uh, the Cubs beat writer for what? How many years were 30, 30 years, uh, 22 years on the Cubs. And I covered baseball for 31 years overall. So yeah, a lot of time spent in press boxes and clubhouses on the field and so forth. Right. And, and so there used to be like nothing before the, you know, all this stuff started coming out and, and now, you know, we're not, we're still a little bit crazy, but it's almost like the, let's get ready to have some fun. You know what Chicago's like in the summertime when baseball's hopping and Wrigley Field's rolling. I mean, we just missed that. So I, I always tell people like for me at Cubs convention, it's a chance to see the friends that I don't see during the off season. And these are people that come from all over the place. So it's exciting. And, and plenty of good memories with you guys, with all, with all the beat writers. I mean, you guys always knew how to have a good time at CubsCon. Oh, yeah. And it was always good interacting with guys like you. We knew that you'd be uh, among the first to ask the tough questions there of whoever it was, whether it be uh, Theo or the Epsteins or the manager, whatever it was, Crawley was first in line. That was, again, it, it was fun and you guys were always great. But the reason I wanted to have you on is that you wrote this fantastic book. It's called The Franchise, Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the North Side. I got my book. I got it autographed by you and Jesse Rogers. And so this is such a great book for Cub fans. You know, obviously you retired. That gave you probably a lot of time. And you just said to yourself, hey, you know what? 
I got some stories to tell. Does that sound right? Yeah, that does. The publisher Triumph Books out of Chicago basically let us have free reign in doing whatever we want to do, tackling whatever subjects we wanted to tackle. I think I did eight or nine. Jesse did four or five. We split it up a little bit, but I was able to explore some things that I wanted to get deeper on. I wanted to find out about legacies, how people look back on things. And I also wanted to go back in history a little bit and find out a little bit more about what was going on when I was a kid and even before then. So we were able to run the gamut from Gabby Hartnett right up until the modern day. Now, you know, I saw that you were at a local library, uh, Schomburg Library, and I said to myself, well, I'm going to go see Bruce, say hi, and, and listen to what he has to say about the book. And that's why I wanted to have you on here, because I thought you did such a good job. So, you know, Bruce, if you're, you know, next time you're in a library, let me know and we'll tweet it out. But the, the presentation was so great. And, you know, while you were there, you kind of let, you know, you let us know that there was what you determined was an off-ramp for Sammy Sosa to potentially reunite with the Cubs. And all of a sudden, my little ears perked. I said, what? And, and you know, you kind of talked about that. Let our listeners know about this off-ramp that you have to reunite the Cubs with Sammy Sosa. Yeah, well, I put in the book that, you know, for all these many years, the Ricketts family, Tom Ricketts in particular, has been vocal about not having Sammy back. And he's talked around the issue a little bit, the steroids, whatever, maybe walking out on the team. And nowadays, there is a Cubs Hall of Fame. It's been revived the last couple of years. You've seen it the first year that under the new Cubs Hall of Fame, Jose Cardinal and Pat Hughes. And last year, Sean Dunstan and Mark Grace. Just a great day. Those guys were thrilled. Well, it came up that, you know, pretty soon Sammy's got to be on this ballot. And it turns out that, that he is. And what I write in the book is that if Tom doesn't want to do it himself, if Sammy is elected, to the Cubs Hall of Fame, well, then there it is. He's got to invite Sammy back, if only to say, Sammy, this independent commission, this committee voted you into the Cubs Hall of Fame. We have to have you back. It gets Tom off the hook. He doesn't have to eat crow or anything like that. An independent committee does or doesn't vote Sammy in, and if they do, you know, he's got to come back. So I think that's the off-ramp. I think it's a win-win for everybody. If indeed Sammy gets in, we don't know if that's going to happen. I think they'll announce that as they did last year at the convention. Yeah, you know, you got two men with, with egos. You know, when you talk about Sammy and you talk about Tom Ricketts, and neither of them want to bend, and this is a way to kind of get there. Now, I, I talked to your uh, fellow uh, person who has a vote, person on the commission. I talked to David Haw. And I thought in myself, I said, you know, I think that he's going to have a harder time with the alumni, with the Hall of Famers than he is with the journalists. Would you agree with that or do you think it's going to be kind of split? Yeah, I have to think so. I, uh, one thing we've been asked not to do is reveal our votes, so I won't do that here. I have no idea how anybody voted, but you've heard the comments that Ryan Sandberg has made in the past about playing the game the right way, and it seemed to be some sort of shots at Sammy there, veiled or subtle shots at Sammy, that, that maybe Ryan will telegraph that he wouldn't vote for him. Uh, Billy Williams is on the committee as a, as a Hall of Famer. He was Sammy's first hitting coach with the Cubs. Maybe he goes for Sammy. He always enjoyed working with Sammy. If you remember after 9-11 and 01, he gave Sammy the American flag and Sammy ran around the bases. Billy kind of choreographed that whole thing. Uh, Fergie Jenkins, Lee Smith, and Andre Dawson are the other Cubs Hall of Famers on this committee that I am also a member of. I have no idea how they'll vote. The media members may be more sympathetic. Myself, as you mentioned, David Haw, Kerry Muscat, Dan Roan, Fred Mitchell, Barry Rosner, Bruce Levine, 
all of whom had some sort of contact with Sammy one way or the other. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think you might be right on that, that the, the Cubs Hall of Famers might be less inclined than the media members to vote Sammy into the Cubs Hall of Fame. Now, Bruce, uh, in the book, you do have a chapter on Sammy Sosa. And it's interesting because when you brought up the topic of Sammy at your book talk in the library, you know, there was a, I, I would say more of an anti-Sammy sentiment. And I was kind of surprised. And I just, I still don't understand just the divisiveness of the Sammy Sosa character, uh, especially considering all the people, like I said, Alex Rodriguez on Fox Sports, you know, uh, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, everybody loves him. I, I don't get the, the Sammy hate, and, and, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, throughout his career, Sammy, for one reason or another, has been among the most polarizing figures that I've ever seen. The chapter is a favorite of mine that I wrote. It's the longest chapter in the book. I interviewed more people for that chapter than any other, and I kept learning more. I thought I knew a lot. I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did. This goes back to the White Sox getting Sammy Sosa from the Rangers. It tore apart the White Sox organization because they traded a popular guy in Harold Baines to the Rangers for Sammy Sosa. Scouts were asked, would you put your job on the line for this Sosa kid? Manager Jeff Torborg was furious with the GM Larry Himes, who later came to the Cubs and got Sammy Sosa for them. And, and so he was a polarizing figure, Sammy was, from the word go, and it remains so with the Cubs, whether it was how he conducted himself, whether it was because he was flashy, and then in the end of the career, the talk about the steroids, and then the uh, the exit in 04 when he left the team early. So that did a lot, and let's not forget the cork bat. That's the one, I guess, one documentable piece of cheating that we have against Sammy. That might have been a misdemeanor in the grand scheme of things, if you want to call steroids a felony i don't know but that's the one piece we have against sammy if you want to say he cheated but you know this whole business uh, i was thinking about this today crawley about the exit well there was a guy named carlos zambrano who in 2011 walked out on the cubs after a bad start in atlanta packed up his stuff in the clubhouse down at turner field and just left and carlos has been welcomed back he sung the seventh inning stretch at least once when I was on the beat uh, until 2019, you'd see Carlos there on the field in the clubhouse. He's been welcomed back. So I got to believe with Tom Ricketts, it's the steroid thing. But in any case, Sammy, just so polarizing. Yeah, I actually saw Carlos at uh, the Field of Dreams game in uh, Dyersville, Iowa. He was there with the Cubs. So definitely, like you said, welcome back. Now, obviously, on the other end, there's a, the beloved Kerry Wood. And, and this was hard to believe, hard to believe, Bruce, 25 years since the 20 strikeout game. And you have a really interesting chapter on Kerry Wood, the phenom. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Now, when you talk about it, I mean, Kerry Wood, when you look at the numbers, you're not looking at a guy. I've, I've had people say he needs his flag retired. And I'm like, huh. you know, you know who's up on those flagpoles are some of the greatest to ever play the game. But for Cub fans, Kerry Wood is just something special. 
Yeah, and uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write that chapter. The, the word phenom is almost exclusive to baseball. It's one of those romantic type words. But he came along at a time when the Cubs in 1997 went 0-14. The season was over in April. He comes along in 1998, wows everybody at spring training, didn't make the team out of camp, and it wasn't a service time thing like we talk about today. But then he comes up in Montreal, strikes out Mark Rudzelanek, the first batter he faces in the majors. And then you know what happened on May the 6th of 1998, soon to be 26 years, if you uh. can believe that. It's 20 strikeouts. From then, a phenomenon was born, and every start, whether at home or on road, on the road that year, drew people, drew media. National media were traveling to games. Chicago media were traveling to games on the road just to see this kid pitch. And, you know, if he struck out 13, it was like, oh, we didn't get 20 again. Hey, 13 is pretty good. But from then, this whole phenomenon was born, and it never left. And, you know, and that came up in the area when chicks dig the long ball. That was the same summer as McGuire and Sosa and the great home run race. But I think Kerry had a lot of things. He had that uh, country boy look. He really did love Chicago. And he stayed here, made his home here, does a lot of charitable work, um, pitched through and overcame a lot of injuries, uh, illnesses. And if you look at his numbers, like strikeouts per nine innings, some of the best in history, and if you remember the Cubs, you know, he went to Cleveland, went to the Yankees, came back to the Cubs. They made a big deal at the convention with Pat Hughes saying, I've got some breaking news. <laughs> and then they, they bring uh, Kerry Wood back and he didn't last long. He retired in May. But if you remember, he struck out, uh, I believe, Diane Vesiedo or the White Sox, walked off the field. His son came up running towards him, embraced and the crowd went nuts. So whether his career turned out like he wanted it to or we wanted it to remained a phenomenon and to this day one of the most popular Cubs in history and I had a good time writing that book and talking to people like his manager Jim Riggleman you know who was accused of overworking him or whatever the case might be now that take me back to May 6 1998 you're at Wrigley Field and and again everybody always laughs because the very first pitch he throws he hits the umpire in the face mask completely whiffs has a bad bullpen at what point among the uh, among the beat writers were you guys all kind of starting to look each other like something something special is going on here? I think it was around the third or the fourth inning. The umpire you mentioned was Jerry Meals right in the face. And, and Kerry told me uh, back in uh, 2018 at the 20th anniversary, he goes, I had nothing in the bullpen that day. He said, let's go out and wing this thing. And all of a sudden you see Bichio, Bagwell, Bell, Alou, and all these great hitters. And they got no clue up there. And I've heard other players tell me he was throwing a wiffle ball up there the way it was breaking with that uh, slurve ball pitch and the, the almost 100-mile-an-hour fastball. But I think third or fourth inning, and uh, the buzz really began in the press box and around the stands. And if you remember, there were only about 15,000 people in the ballpark that day. It was a dank, drizzly day. People still weren't sold on whether the Cubs would be any good or not. They won the wild card that year, but in May we had no idea. But here comes this fresh-faced kid. The ball is moving like crazy. One hit in the game, a little infield dribbler that Kevin Ory at third base almost got. Maybe some people thought it was an error. And um, I uh, remember Ricky Gutierrez got the hit. He was with the Cubs a couple of years later. We're in spring training, and, and they're showing on the TV in the clubhouse the 20 strikeout game. Ricky's got a bat in his hand. He walks by. He goes, <laughs> I got a hit off of that. Sorry, so-and-so. 
So anyway, they had a good time with it. But yeah, it was one of those days. And then the Cubs kept making announcements in the press box. This ties this record. This is Bob Rookie. And on and on and on. And, you know, by the time you got to the ninth inning, the, the entire place was crazy. And news outlets were sending people on the fly just to get out there to catch the end of the game. Now, another story that's kind of broke recently has been Andre Dawson's request to have the Cubs logo on his Hall of Fame cap. And you have a chapter in the book about Andre Dawson. And I mean, it is the most unique story, I think, in all of sports. That's one I don't think we will ever see again. No, that's a chapter that Jesse wrote and did a really nice job on it, talking with Andre. And if you remember, Andre Dawson signed a blank contract to, to come with the Cubs in 1987. He was with the Expos, wanted off that very hard artificial turf at Olympic Stadium. There were no takers because the owners were illegally colluding to keep down salaries, which they later paid a heavy price for. So he shows up and much to, I think, the chagrin of Dallas Green, who was running the Cubs at the time, and says, "Sign, you know, I'll sign a blank contract. Well, that put Dallas in a very bad spot because here you have this great player He's willing to play for almost anything. So they fill in $500,000, goes on to win the MVP for a last place ball club and becomes one of the most popular players in history. And as you said, you know, goes into the Hall of Fame and uh, as a Montreal Expo. But I, I think that he had the most fun and uh, enjoyed his most acclaim as a Cub. So I don't blame him. And I'm not surprised that he wants that C on the uh, the cap rather than the Expos logo. It made me laugh because in, in the book you've mentioned it, and, I, and I've talked to Andre about it before, and, and it's that whole idea of he's there, blank check, and they kind of they think they're going to call his bluff, so they basically lowball him. They give him half of what Montreal offered him, and he accepts it, and Dallas Green has to say, uh, hold on, I'll, I'll get back to you, because he wasn't expecting Dawson to accept the lowball offer. No, it was just one of those things that uh, was a perfect storm of what was going on at the time with the with the collusion and Dawson had nowhere to go, but he thought the Cubs were the, the perfect situation. And then he says, OK, and then it's like, oops, what do we do now? And, and the rest is history. Be became one of the most popular Cubs, uh, just a, a cannon of an arm in right field. And what people uh, don't for, don't remember is that his knees were so bad even then that he had to take a lot of treatment before and after games to get ready and to stay ready. And just a, a remarkable work ethic and an example to other players, uh, you know, younger players who were around the team who would come up in subsequent years. Now, Bruce, Tom Cooper here says, I know this goes back a while. My favorite photo is Gabby Hartnett talking to Al Capone before a game. Do you have any stories about that? Yeah, that's funny because uh, I wanted to go back in history with this uh, and, and talk about Gabby Hartnett for one reason. He hit one of the most important home runs in Major League history, the Homer in the Gloman in 1938. It didn't win the pennant for the Cubs, but a couple of days later they clinched, and it's been forgotten to history. Uh, you know, you hear about the Fisk home run, and rightfully so, uh, Kirk Gibson and Kirby Puckett and all these big home runs, Bobby Thompson. Well, Hartnett's was just as important, but there's no TV then. There's apparently no film unless some some film comes out of somebody's attic one of these days. <laughs> the radio broadcast has not been preserved. There's just a few photos remaining. So I got with and, and had a wonderful uh, 
visit with Gabby Hartnett's granddaughter who lives in the Chicago area. And, and Gabby stayed in Chicago all of his life. Now, the, the, the photo that you mentioned was actually taken at Comiskey Park during a either a city series game or some other exhibition game between the Cubs and the White Sox. And uh, uh, Gabby signed an autograph or it might have been Al Capone's son. And the commissioner of baseball, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, didn't want him to be doing that. And then Gabby's like, well, you tell him. You tell <laughs> Al Capone, but uh, you know Gabby's a great, uh, considered by many the greatest uh, uh, catcher in Cubs history. You know Wilson Contreras, notwithstanding, and Randy Hundley and others, great player. Um, stayed in Chicago, ran a bowling alley in Lincolnwood for the rest of his life, and um, to me, it was one of the, the the great miscarriages of justice that he's been forgotten. I just hate that that kind of stuff gets swept under the rug or forgotten to history just because it happened a long time ago. But again, another chapter that I went a little bit different with. I was able to, through the Cubs, uh, track down uh, uh, Gabby's granddaughter and gave a wonderful interview and also told me about, you know, Gabby, the guy who would go out to clinics even in the rain when they didn't think he'd show up and, you know, work with young ball players on an off day or whatever it might be. So uh, another fun chapter for me. Now, uh, here's the thing here. Here's what made me laugh about that chapter is that his granddaughter would mention that she would wear the Hartnett Jersey to Cubs games. And I know what a fan you are of, of, of unique jerseys. And so I had to imagine if you ever had seen her at the game, you definitely would have taken a picture of that one. I certainly would have. And a lot of times when I would see something like that, I would go up to the person and say, what possesses you to have that? And it's a game I continue. I freelance for NHL.com doing the Blackhawks. And I walk around the United Center before every game looking for old, you know, like Dennis Hull or somebody like that, Phil Russell, old jerseys. And if it's really unique like that, I'll go up and ask the person, what are you thinking here? But yeah, that's one. If I had seen it, no doubt I would have talked with her. Uh, Joanne Bebrack is her name, by the way, and asked her about it. And who knows where it would have gone from there. But, oh, I got a million of them. <laughs>